Hello, welcome back to Revenue Champions. Today we are welcoming back the one and only Sam Nelson. Sam Nelson had an amazing rise in his career over at Outreach over the last five years and is now on his own running sgrleader.com as well as his own outbound sales consulting business. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this conversation. Tune in to the very end where we ask a fun would you rather question. We'd love to get your feedback in the comments wherever you're watching this show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions. Uh, you've got me, your host, Ryan Reisert, and I'm joined for the second time, part two. I think you might be the first one that I've seen. Uh, back with us again, Sam Nelson. Uh, for those who maybe missed the first one, you want to give a quick introduction of yourself, who you be, you know, who are you, what are you up to? All right. Days? Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. It's always great to, to chat with you. Um, so I'm Sam Nelson. And, um, yeah, I was at outreach. I just finished like five and a half years of outreach, which is a long time at tech companies, but kind of outbound SDR is kind of, kind of my world and what I want to go all in on. And there really wasn't a better place to be than outreach for that. So it was kind of hard to leave. Uh, but I went off on my own and we'll talk a little bit about what I'm doing now, but, um, but yeah, really great to be here. Excited to talk. Yeah. Amazing. You have five years at outreach and what was your career path? Just for those that understand, cause it's going to set the context for. A lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today. So uh, before outreach, where were you? Then you got to outreach. What was your evolutions? You know, what did you learn along the way? And then um, that would really help set the tone for, for some of the things we're going to talk about today. Okay. Actually, I, w I would maybe start it before I got to outreach. Mm -hmm. Is I was in college and I started like this very kind of mission-driven, kind of altruistic kind of startup with my friend in college. And we kind of had the idea like, hey, if we have a, uh, you know, a cool enough mission, like if we have a mission that's really going to do good for other people, then kind of everything will take care of itself. That's kind of like the vibe you get if you read Paul Graham's articles. I don't know if you've read those. Like make something that, you know, it makes a big difference and everything else will take care of itself. And If you build um, it, they will come, Sam. If you build it, they will yeah, come. Yeah. And, and it became very clear to me that that wasn't necessarily, that was not true at all. And um, I can have the best intentions in the world, but if I can't bring it to market, um, I'm going to have a tiny fraction of a fraction of the impact that I could otherwise have. And so for me, as kind of a founder, I was like, okay, well, the most useful thing that I can learn besides coding, which is I'm not going to be able to learn that great. <laughs> like the most important thing that I could possibly learn is learning how to generate a new opportunity where there was previously nothing. And so I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And so I was in Seattle. And I heard of a company called Outreach. And it was like, Outreach is a tool where you can, we help people generate opportunities where there was previously nothing. And they, they want to change the way that that's done. And so you're going to be able to not just develop the skill, but you'll be able to do it at a company that's all in on this idea at a tool that wants to change the way that this is done. And if we do, like, this will be the new way of doing it. And I'm in the first group of SDRs in their headquarters. And so I was like, sign me up. I actually, like, I had like a full cycle role that was an offer, but I was like, no, 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 I want to learn this. This is, I like, in my opinion, for what I want to do, like, this skill is actually more useful than like, I would take it over getting a Harvard MBA. Like, I, I did a post about that one time and I got like lampooned for it. But like, <laughs> now I'm like really good at it. And then I taught a class at it about it at Harvard's MBA program. And so, like, it's like, it's this really, really important skill. And I was really excited to learn it. So, anyway, I started. Um, as an SDR, did really good as an outbound SDR. I was the top one. And then I became a manager and then I managed managers. And then uh, what became really important for me was like I 
posted content about how to do that from an outbound perspective. And it just became popular beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> like uh, one thing that's kind of cool about cold outbound is that what works is pretty pretty similar across the board. Once you introduce inbound or like some of these other cool things, they're like awesome advantages, but every company is a little bit different in what their brand or inbound or MQL advantages are. If you isolate cold outbound, it's actually pretty similar across companies. And so um, people that were in that situation where they wanted to improve cold outbound could kind of like rip and replace my strategies and they'd see positive results. And then the word of mouth, would it would kind of create this flywheel. So eventually I became very well known for my content. It was very commonly used across the industry. And I spent the last few years in outreach kind of flying around the country, meeting with outbound SDR teams and helping them with that process. So, um, and that was a cool experience too. I got to see a lot of different things, what's common, what's different. And um, it was also like pretty fun. <laughs> it's a pretty fun job. It's, a, it's an amazing journey. And so thank you for setting the context. I think one thing that stood out there, which you just glazed over, which is really incredible is you got lampooned for saying being an SDR learning skills may be better than a Harvard MBA. And then, hold on a second, you got invited to teach a class at Harvard uh, to their MBA students. That's pretty cool. Uh, like, pretty pretty amazing journey that you went through. Um, and, uh, again, super excited for the conversation today. So, um, first question I want to talk about is, you know, right now you're you're, you're out on your own and you're, you're doing a couple things, but one of them is uh, – strleader.com, this community. Um, what inspired, what's the inspiration uh, behind SDR Leader um, and the events you're running? Yeah. yeah so, um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm very, very passionate about just like the whole process of generating a new opportunity where there's previously nothing. I think it's the most important skill that you can learn. It's like on a sales team, it's like the bottleneck of the bottleneck, right? Like pretty much any problem on a sales team can be solved by more pipeline. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so yeah, it's like the, it's like the hardest part of the sales cycle and now we've specialized in it. And so we have the hardest part of the sales cycle. People are doing the hardest part of the sales cycle all day. We're taking the least experienced people in the company and putting them into that role. And we are kind of having people manage them. And so it's like this really insane concept. <laughs> like, and, um, so it's, it's, by the way, it's chaos everywhere. I've seen a lot of companies. If you feel like you're like your uh, pipeline generation function is chaos, then you're probably pretty normal. And one really cool thing about it is like, because it's chaos, like you can make kind of, usually there are pretty easy changes you can make that will make a big measurable difference to a really important part of the company. And so that's something that's pretty fun. And um, but anyway, sdrleader.com is a place that where leaders help each other um, kind of improve that part of the sales cycle. And I kind of, again, like I've met a lot of different leaders in the role that I had. And yeah, we just have this big community. We meet regularly. We're doing dinners now. And there's a lot of benefit in collaboration and learning from each other. Because it's like uh, a lot of times kind of this role by itself is pretty new. The technology that's been installed into it is new. Your boss hasn't really done this for like full time outbound. And so you're kind of like alone on an Island and kind of learning from other people. Like the best information is in the heads of, uh, of other practitioners. So it's making that easier to access for them. Absolutely. It's a, uh, amazing group that, uh, hasn't really been honed in on, right. You've got the, you've got like the, 
the CRO groups, you've got like the marketing leadership groups, you even have like the SDR groups, but I haven't really seen somebody really tackle the SDR leader and um, exciting to see that you're, you're going after that. And it's such an important role without a lot of, like you said, there's not a lot of mentorship. There's not a lot of places to turn to. It's almost like you get promoted, maybe not too different than what happened with you with outreach. So you're one of the first ones to do it. You get promoted because you're one of the better ones doing it. And you just kind of got to figure it out along the way. So being able to learn from other people is huge. And we're talking about an industry that's rapidly evolving, right? The technology changes. There's new innovations on what was happening. Um, you know, how do you leverage all this technology and processes? Is there, um, you know, as you, have you, as you've looked at the groups and the, the events you've held so far, are you seeing any emerging trends as we're leading into the new year? I mean, coming out of being at one of the most innovative tools in the space over the last couple of years, now kind of an outsider looking at everything. Are, are there any cool tools or trends that you're seeing that we should be aware of moving into 2023? Well, I'll say one thing that comes up a lot that um, people will say kind of in hushed tones, <laughs> it's like very common, is um, kind of that there's kind of like this passive culture that's emerged kind of since COVID. Mm. That um, there's kind of like the ambitious cultures that kind of existed before COVID have kind of like gone away. And it's something that uh, kind of a lot of people are concerned about. I'm not sure exactly what the solution is for that, but that is something that I hear really commonly that a lot of people are concerned about. Um, and they're not necessarily sure exactly how to deal with it. So, um, that's one thing. Um, what else? Another thing that I've noticed just doing these things is it's like a pretty cool group of people. Like for me being like a community, just organizing a community, I was really fortunate in that like the type of people who become SDR leaders are generally like people who are really want to help others. Kind of they've been through a lot of stuff and so they're kind of down to earth and uh, they're really excited to talk to others. And so it's like a pretty fun segment to hone in on for a community because they just tend, just by their nature, they tend to be really great community members. And so like, we'll do these, we'll do these dinners and um, it's funny, like you'll look at our table and you'll think that this was like a family reunion uh, compared to all the other tables, but it's like, no, all these people kind of came solo and they're meeting all these people for the first time. And so it's, it's, it's been like a really cool, really cool community. And um, it's just like so helpful just to kind of talk about what's going on with other people in the industry. Um, and then as far as emerging trends, um, I'll say one that's really kind of new, but interesting to me is the way that, that AI is going to play into this. Um, I used to be like, think that AI was overrated just because of my experience with autocorrect. But like, have you ever used, have you ever used like Reggie to like rephrase things and stuff? I haven't used Reggie, but, and I'm not a big email guy myself, but uh, yeah. somebody recently convinced me to try Lavender and I installed that like a week ago now. And I'm really impressed with how it's uh, looking at the emails scoring it and suggesting results um i'm really impressed with it actually uh so i think it's very similar uh the lavender reggie type of technology um it, yeah. it's, it's way beyond it's similar to you i had some clients maybe five six years ago that were one was exceed.ai so it was supposed to be like outreach but like with ai and uh it uh -huh. was it was not great but the, the newer the newer ai is a lot better it's a lot better 
Yeah, well, it's just like, um, I mean, just like where you can like highlight an idea and then press a button and then like rephrase it in a comedic way or in like an abbreviated way or an elongated way. Like, like it's one of those things where it's like you experience and it's like, this is going to change everything. Like, I don't exactly know how it's all going to kind of come and in what order, but it's like, it's pretty wild. So, um, if you map that, I think that if, if you map that capability with some of the new stuff that, um, is coming out, uh, you know, Crystal Nose has been around for a while where you can kind of guess somebody's personality and maybe how you might approach them. Uh, Humantic AI is a new one that's like Crystal Nose. If you combine those mm-hmm. two, that sounds like a really powerful uh, use of tools, right? Um, yeah. And the scary part about that is that, not the scary part, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because it's emerging. <clears throat> Similar to you, I haven't really been a big fan of the AI just because of the issues that come from it, but once it gets better and better, you don't really need humans doing this text stuff, right? You can kind of let the data run its own text-based conversation on what your thoughts are on that. Like at what point does the SDR that's spending all their time using these tools to program those, you know, to guess like, hey, should this be comedic versus long form versus just letting the bot do it itself? You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but it's, it's getting there. It's getting closer to that. Yeah, it is. And it seems like the kind of thing where it's like, as people, more people use it, it gets better and better. And so I believe that it's going to increase exponentially. And even right now, like it still cuts out a ton of time. Yeah. Um, cause like for me, like with the Agoji sequence, it's like, um, the bottleneck, the reason that it took time was that you kind of needed to do that, that manual research in the beginning. And if you can cut that down to a fraction of what it was, it increases capacity for the SDR to do other things pretty significantly while still kind of having those emails there that you can reference on calls and things like that. And so, I think, I think like, as this improves, I think it could be a pretty big step improvement. Um, but, um, but I see it, I also see it, of course, like the idea is like, oh, well, if you can do things five times as well, is that going to mean that, um, there are going to be five times fewer SDRs and it kind of reminds me, or like, are they going to lose their job? And like the first thing is like, dude, by the time that happens, like you're probably going to be an AE. So like, don't worry about that, even if it did. But the second thing is like, you could make, you could have made like a similar argument about outreach, like outreach automated a lot of things that were manual before. Like someone can do multiple times more activity than they could have without a sales engagement platform. And what, when outreach discovered that, what happened? Did they just like have one SDR? No, they had like three SDRs per AE because like they could produce so much pipeline per rep. They wanted to hire more. It's easy to justify budget for things that are producing more. And so if AI becomes something where it's like someone can do twice as much stuff, it's twice as easy to justify budget for that person. And so, um, yeah, it's, I mean, time will tell how it all evolves, but, um, I'm optimistic about it. I think anything that increases productivity for pipeline generation is going to be, a it's going to be a good thing. Well, I think that the, you bring up a good point. You know, a lot of the manual tedious uh, effort and work goes in, in this role. As that becomes more automated, it's going to open up opportunities to do the most important piece, which is to actually have one-to-one conversations with people you're doing all this for in the first place, right? So mm-hmm. does that mean that you have less people or um, does it mean that, that you just – have different skill sets necessary to actually be successful, you know, leveraging that, uh, automation and the, and the technology. 
and I think that's a, a it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I don't know if you have any insights around what you think the future of scaling outbound looks like. Um, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think less time spent on like writing manual emails is a good thing. Like a lot of figuring out pipeline is like figuring out, okay, who is kind of the right person? What's the context? Has there been lost opportunities? Like how does all of this work? If you can spend more of your time doing that kind of work, it's like a more enjoyable job and you can just be so much more productive. Like trying to come up with like dumb stuff for the first part of your emails is not really my favorite part of the job anyway. (laughs) Um, And so, and it's not, I think there are other skills that you could put more time into that are more practical and more enjoyable and more strategic. And so I don't, I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to transition into something that you do quite well with your audience is polling. And you ask some really interesting questions. And then in some cases it's resulted in some pretty interesting results. And I'm curious you know, based on those results, you know, does it surprise you or was it aligned? And maybe, you know, some other parts of the discussion that we can take it with. But one of the polls that you did centered around SGRs rating their hiring and onboarding when they started. Uh, And only about 18% rated it five out of five. And and maybe this is like a, you know, no one does the five out of five on a consumer review anymore. You got to find some nuance. So maybe that's the case. But uh, (laughs) why do you think that is the case? Well, I think that, um, again, is first of all, this is a really hard onboarding situation because you're taking people with zero experience and plugging them into the hardest part of the sales cycle. And so even if you were like the best onboarding person in the world, it's going to be really hard to nail that. So I don't like fault anyone who doesn't have like a great onboarding experience because that's a pretty hard challenge. No one else has a harder onboarding challenge than uh, the SDR function. So that's the first thing. The second thing is like... SDR managers don't have time. They have like multiple full-time jobs that they've got to get done. And uh, there are a lot of urgent things. And so like onboarding, everyone knows is like an important thing to do, but you've got some urgent things that often take priority. Like onboarding, that's something where if you improve it, it pays off big time, like three to six months down the road. But a lot of time managers, you know, they're just kind of focused on what's going to pay off in the next three to six weeks. Um, or they're not going to be around in three to six months, maybe, right? So it's like, um, there's just like not really a lot of managers, I think, don't have the bandwidth to kind of nail onboarding. And so it is, I think it is like a pretty big gap because it's, first of all, it's really hard to do for the specific situation. And second of all, the managers just don't have time to do it. And so it kind of creates this awful situation where onboarding kind of hasn't been figured out yet. So people come in, they get bad habits, they go into the, uh, SDR team. And then the manager's got to fix those bad habits that are now 10 times harder to solve and take more time. And they have less time to do onboarding. And so it kind of, it's just like, it's kind of a, a gap in the, kind of a gap in the system, in my opinion. There's just like not a good system for onboarding SDRs. Well, and, and it's hard. you know, you already hit on this a little bit, but in, in today's sales environment, whether you're a sales leader or SDR leader, a lot of times you're you're actually in a hybrid role where you're carrying a bag too. And so you've got your own, you got your own quota uh, and, yeah. and you've got a team you got to manage uh, and now you got to onboard some folks and um, you know, what takes president, uh, you know, you got, you got your quota, you know, and then you got your team and then you got this new person, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at what's going to get you to your number as fast as possible. And it becomes a big challenge. Do you have any advice 
uh, for folks that are sitting in that role? I mean, you, you hinted on a couple of these things. Like, you got, yeah, you know, you put the work in today, you're going to have the results tomorrow, but you might not be around. So anything that you learned <laughs> in your, your approach uh, as you yeah, the go through this process? Yeah, the problem really is capacity. It's really hard for these managers, even if they understand that and they really want to do it. Um, they have, again, they have like this insane job and it's just really hard to kind of have the time to get that all set up right and constantly onboard people. So the way that we solved it at Outreach was we had a team specifically for onboarding. So I spent a year where I was a normal manager with a normal quota, except that every single person in the first 90 days were on my team. And my job was, okay, we need to get people from zero experience to the skills they need to be a top performer in those first 90 days. And that's all I focus on. And since like that previously hasn't been focused on as much, like the results are pretty extreme. Like in the, the production in the first 90 days doubled. Yeah. And, um, and so like, that's like a, it was a pretty quick win. And I mean, we continued to do that for like five years. Like eventually I moved on and, um, to my other things, but we would replace it. It just worked really well because someone could focus on onboarding, make sure they don't get the bad habits. And then the other managers can increase capacity too, because they don't have to worry about onboarding. They don't have like these two separate jobs they need to focus on. Um, and so that worked, that was our solution to it. And I've worked with some other, pretty much everyone who does that gets similar results because it's like, okay, onboarding was previously ignored. Now someone's going all in on that. Now that we're going from ignored to all in on what might be one of the most important parts of making your team good in the long term, like they get results fast and like doubles. And so, um, so that's really good. The problem is you need to be a big enough company where you're constantly bringing people in to justify having a manager specifically for them. So that's like the one, like the Agoji is like this really cool management structure that works pretty much anytime I've worked with someone on implementing it. The problem is it's only a fit for a small number of companies because you have to be constantly bring in enough SDRs to justify that, that, uh, that headcount. Yeah, that makes total sense. But this is just constraint analysis, right? Like you're focusing on that big problem. So if you're in this hyper growth mode, onboarding, being ignored, you're going to have massive, uh, increase in efficiency across the board, not just production, but I'd imagine churn, right? Promotions, all that stuff, right? Um, that I think the latest, which is about the same data every year, but the latest SDR metrics report from the Bridge Group shows that you, know, you have to hire two to keep one. Like that's the average, and yeah. it, it takes like uh, I think fifteen months on average to get someone fully productive, and yet uh, everyone wants to get promoted in twelve months. And so, like the math is just so backwards it just doesn't make sense which is going back to your other point around well if you could find a system and a process and tool set that eliminated some of the challenges of getting people productive um well the problem isn't going to be trying to hire more it's probably going to be hire more right and now all of a sudden you've got this full-time role but it's so backwards right because we think well hiring people doesn't work so we ignore it <laughs> And now you've got this math that doesn't work. But if you did what you guys did, which is incredible, you have a dedicated team with a quota, and you know you're, you're actually responsible for going from A, you know A to B in 90 days. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so that that's really really interesting. Um, another another poll that you came out that I think was pretty interesting, um, and it's like a talk point here was that promotion path, right? So getting back to onboarding and um, uh, the importance of that. You had uh, asked 
when an SDR is promoted to AE versus if you hire an outside performer, mm-hmm. generally who performs better, right? And the results were pretty surprising to you. Um, doesn't surprise me too much from my background, but you said over 80% responded that the person being promoted within, even with less experience most of the time, like a junior SDR being promoted to AE, 80% of the time outperform an outsider. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, for me, it actually wasn't surprising at all. To me, that's what we saw at outreach. Like if you're a top performing SDR and you become an AE, pretty much they're going to be kind of an above average performing AE. Like the top performing SDR is a pretty, I don't know if there's any indicator better than that for being a high performer as an AE. Um, even before they even gave them AE training, like they just like whatever intangibles go into becoming a top performing outbound SDR, those type of people that can do that tend to be able to do the job of the AE pretty well. So that was another thing that was interesting. It's like, even before they had training, they were doing this. Um, it's just like, it's just like a being a top performing outbound SDR is a very, very good signal for kind of future success in, in sales. So it was interesting. It was surprising that it was so lopsided. Like this was like one of the most lopsided polls that I'd ever seen. Like, I'm just saying like, what do you observe at your company? Um, who performs better? These SDRs that get promoted into the AE position or people who come in from the outside. People who come in from the outside usually have way more experience than someone who's an SDR who's probably a new grad, right? But almost everyone said the people who get promoted from SDR to AE become more successful. And I think there are probably a couple of parts of that. Number one is is like if someone's being promoted in their own company, they have some context before they get into it. The other thing is people who get promoted at their own company, they're usually the the higher performing SDRs. And so you're kind of, that's another signal that's correlated with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But pretty interesting how much uh, being a top performing SDR can trump experience. Well, I think another thing that is super important there is pipeline cures all. And so if you're an outsider coming into an organization as an AE um, and you're not getting after it like producing your own opportunities out the gate. You're kind of relying on the SDRs to fill your pipeline versus someone who's promoted. You're eager to get there and get to your first deal. You're certainly p- continuing to produce your own opportunities. You know, who's, yep. you know, skill set out the door, you know, pipe cures all, right? Pipe is life. So I think that's a big factor is, is that a lot of these folks that come from the outside, they're taking an AE position because they think they don't have to prospect anymore. And, um, you yeah. know, newsflash, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you, you started this whole thing around, it doesn't matter how great your product is, your reputation. Um, if you're not able to get in front of people and start new business conversations, you're, you're not going to have a lot of success. Um, and that's why this role is so exciting. Um, and it's clear that, um, you know, people who understand it, they have this rapid acceleration through their careers versus those who maybe kind of see it as a stepping stone and they, they lose out on those skill sets as they, as they move from another company where they didn't want to do it to one where they, you know, uh, believe that they can come in and just be a closer, quote unquote, which who knows what that means. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, uh, on that note, you, there's another poll you did. There's lots of really good data in here. I think it's really, really fascinating that you do these things, but um was uh, a lot of SDRs was about fifty eight percent see career they see the career position uh, progression going from SDR to AE. There's a couple of different career paths you can go from, right? SDR is a great entry point into tech companies, 
whether it's sales or customer success or SDR leadership, but SDR to AE is the number one path. Do you have any advice for um, sales leaders? Um, well, two, two, two levels here. Sales leaders to help with that facilitation, like how do you get them to be your new to top performer? Um, and then on the second fight, how about the sales rep? If I'm a rep, what can I do to really make that progression? Just hear your thoughts on that. I mean, I, I, it, how well someone performs as an outbound SDR is a really good indicator of how good they're going to be as an AE. Like a lot of times SDRs um, feel like, Hey, I want to be prepared for an AE. So I'm going to shoehorn some kind of discovery call tactics into cold calls where they don't necessarily fit. Cause that's going to make me a better AE. It's like, no, being relentlessly realistic about what works and what doesn't and going all in on what works is tends to correlate with success as an AE from what I've seen. So, um, I would say like, stay focused on your job, focused on doing really, really well. Um, at least, I mean, that was easy advice to give at outreach because SDRs who are top performing, who were top performers were always successful as AE. So it's just like, do really well that you'll be fine. Like every single other person who has done that well, um, even before training. And so, um, stay really good at that job. I think what we talked about before, like being really good at outbound pipeline generation just gives you so many advantages and those skills atrophy fast. And I think that's what you brought up was a really important point. Like, um, people who have come to another company where they haven't had to come from a company where they haven't had to produce their own pipeline compared to you who has been living and breathing that and can do that and is willing to do that you're just going to have a huge advantage for that by itself. And so um, don't get, dis don't get distracted. I think <laughs> it's a little different than other people, but um, yeah, I don't, I think one thing to not do is try to shoehorn AE discovery call strategies in places they don't fit. Um, and I see that as very popular advice on LinkedIn, but it's just not good advice. Like the cold, the format of a cold call is so different than a discovery call that someone voluntarily shows up for in 30 minutes. Yeah. Like shoehorning stuff for that type of call into a cold call is just going to cause you to get hung up on. Like <laughs> you, like the leads you passed over might be great, but that's because those must be like the easiest people in the world to set meetings with. Um, it, but, and you're missing out on everything else. And so um, I would say kind of stay, stay focused on getting really good at pipeline, Jen. It's good luck charm. Yeah. Well, uh, we could probably go for another hour with that uh, topic because it comes up so often, uh, people's <laughs> misunderstanding of how a conversation progresses through, I don't know you to, I'm willing to share some information. That's super Well, and how, different that, and how different that is than a discovery call. Right. Like, it's like when I'm looking through LinkedIn, it's like, do you realize that like someone accidentally picking up the phone and taking them from that? to agreeing to a meeting is like a really delicate art. Yes. Okay. Yes. Like when someone voluntarily shows up for a discovery call for 30 minutes and you have 30 minutes to talk through their pain and stuff with them, that's a different situation. These are black and white different. Yep. And don't conflate the two. Yep. Um, and uh, it seems like everyone's conflating the two. And I think it's actually the root of a lot of problems on outbound teams is because like the you want to believe that the discovery call stuff fits into a cold call. You want to believe that like the VP of sales will spill out their guts to this random SDR who calls them. And that's the kind of conversation you're having. Like you wish that that was the case, but that's not realistic. That's right. Like that's going to work great in role plays. In reality, it just doesn't work. And I think that's a, a major problem. For sure. And then, understanding. well, not, not to mention the differences between an outbound cold call 
meeting set first conversation, which isn't really discovery, it's introduction versus a, mm -hmm. an actual discovery call. So yeah. the, the, that's another big problem where AEs who are not going back to someone being promoted and why they're probably success as well. If I'm an AE getting an outbound meeting scheduled for me, the type of conversation I'm going to have with you based on a cold call meeting set versus, you know, even a call that I made myself or uh, an inbound lead, very different, right? Very, very different. <laughs> yeah. Yet they're being treated very similar. And so I think that's another massive problem with the success yeah. of outbound. And there's lots of stuff you read online about, um, well, outbound's not working or um, show rates as an issue, things like that, where if you really double clicked into what's going on, a big part of it is, not only are they uh, re requiring more than is necessary to get an intro call set up, but they don't know how to run that intro call properly. Hmm. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've probably seen some of that, uh, although you're the one setting up the onboarding. But as you've moved out outside of outreach and seen a lot more teams, uh, what are you seeing in the in the wild? I I, re I really think the kind of not clearly different thinking about outbound cold calls using the exact same strategies you use for a discovery call for those is really the root of a lot of problems because it sounds it sounds good to your ear like if you don't have experience it's like no we want to be talking about pain and like solving problems and building a relationship with these people it's like i mean i hate to be the guy that says nah it's not actually like that and no one wants to do that right those those don't go viral people don't like to agree with it you sound like you're kind of a jerk right um, or you don't sound as as virtuous as people who say that, but it's like no, like these are different things. Like a cold outbound call has completely different strategies than a discovery call, and everyone's conflating them, and it's uh, it causes a huge amount of problems. Because I know, like when I'm advising companies, this is a huge underlying problem: is people really want to believe that discovery calls and cold calls are the same, and they're not, and it's really hard to help people understand that because it's not intuitive. It's not what people want to believe. It's not what you see going viral on LinkedIn, but it's reality. And uh, yeah, it's a problem. Oh, oh, I know. I live and breathe it because I'm that one that does sound maybe like a jerk sometimes because I'm pushing that all day long. Um, I know. But yeah, but it's the thing is it's like it's like this funny kind of irony where it's like the people that are willing to just like say things tactical and things that are actually realistic, like you don't come off as good, but it's like, who's the person who's really, if you really care about SDRs, you'll give them kind of reality and you prioritize that over kind of sounding virtuous on LinkedIn or getting extra virality. And so it's like this ironic thing where, um, yeah, That's, it's just, yeah. it's the way it is. I mean, I have conversations about this often and I mean, there's some frameworks I've introduced for cold calls through the content we do here. And there's some people that, like they think that it that will never work. This is the worst advice I've ever seen. It's like, well, have you tried? Have you actually tried some of the things I'm talking about right now? Because see, for for me, I cold call every single day still to this day, right? I make cold calls every single day. I do it live. I, I'm shutting some of that stuff down now, but I do it every single day. So what I'm sharing is real, practical, in the trenches stuff that's going on right now. Versus what you yeah. typically see is, um, you know, stuff that maybe worked 10 years ago. But like, if you've had a real conversation with somebody, 
you're spot on that this is probably one of the biggest problems. And this actually transitions a little bit into the relationship between SDRs and AEs. Um, you know, how does an SDR and AE work together? And, um, you know, a lot of times the uh, AEs uh, almost treat like SDRs almost like assistants, right? They're trying to do the like yeah. this work versus like understanding how we're taking a conversation from I don't really know you into we're introducing our company into hopefully you're a future customer, right? And this is like this, yeah. this journey that we're going on. Um, but that relationship between the SDR and the AE is so important. Um, and uh, in some cases, they're assistants, sometimes they're mentors, you know, other times they're teams. But how do you see the relationship between SDR and AE playing out where, where teams are successful versus maybe where there's some sort of conflict? Yeah, well, so I, I got to experience a couple of different versions of this when I was an SDR. So one was uh, I worked one-on-one -on -one with an AE for a few months, which was a really good experience. Like I learned a lot from that guy and we're still friends. Like we still text each other. Um, and that was like a, it was like a really cool way to do things. Um, but eventually like from an operational standpoint, if you're hiring tons of SDRs and there's churn and stuff like that, like pairing people one-to-one -one is just, it's very hard to, it's very hard to scale that. It, and it creates a lot of problems. And so while I really like the experience, it's just, it's, it's hard to do that mm -hmm. with fast growth companies and keep it organized. Um, and so what's happening more and more is that it's pulled where an SDR will work with multiple different AEs. And so there's not really that one-to-one -one relationship anymore, but it's just kind of a necessity operationally. Um, and so, yeah, the downside of that is there is, there's kind of less room for collaboration in that situation. It's more like being organized with your notes so they can see an outreach and both people are kind of on the same page in that way. Um, but you don't really have time for like long sit down conversations. So that makes less and less sense the more AEs you're working for. Yeah, well, and then that's where, um, I don't know what your thoughts are, going back to some of the tech stack stuff, why call recording software and um, some of the innovations around that with transcriptions and keywords and things like that is so helpful um, because <laughs> notes, I mean, some SDRs are really good at taking notes. Others, like myself, <laughs> say bullets. Uh, when I'm when I'm making calls, like it makes sense to me, but someone else probably doesn't understand. It's like, what do you mean you don't get that? You know. And so there's this nice blend between, like, how do I take a really good conversation and pass it off? Um, and when you're talking about like a, a pooled environment, um, you know, AEs tend to like to do things their own way, and so some are okay with less information. Um, some are not, some will listen to call recordings, some won't. And so, um, the, the call recording software, coaching software, some of the things that I think are really valuable are the ones that provide the transcriptions with the keywords, because now you can almost get, you know, all of that in one place. I don't know what your thoughts are and the impact that that's had. Is that something that is actually inside of outreach now? I know there was like some, some, some of those features getting built out or are you relying more on. I know you're not outreach anymore, but just do the sequencers more rely on like the gongs and the choruses of the world for the integration? Yeah. I mean, outreach can, outreach records calls and it does the transcriptions and stuff. And so it's doing the transcription yeah. as well now inside. Yeah. Of, yeah. Does. yeah. Yeah. And then it'll like take out action items and things like that. Yeah. So, it's, but yeah, that's a game changer. Like, um, yeah, I think that's also really important for what we were talking about before where like, um, 
kind of conflating discovery calls into cold calls sounds really good on the surface. It works great for role plays, right? Um, but like it just doesn't work in reality. And so if you have it recorded, it's much easier to coach kind of based on reality. So um, yeah, I think it's a game changer. I can't um, – calls have always been recorded for the AEs kind of since I started as an SDR. And I can't imagine what the world was like before that and how you'd adjudicate those things. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think having calls recorded is just like an, a necessary thing for SDRs these days. Otherwise, you're going to get into the unrealistic advice problem. Yeah. I think it solves a lot of the debate around, you know, qualification and things like that. And, you know, should we be qualifying or should the list be the strategy? Things like that. Um, but we're running up on time. I didn't realize we're coming up so hot. It's so easy to talk with you, Sam. Uh, I had two things that I want to leave with. The uh, first is, if people want to reach out to you, uh, connect with you, when are you open to that? And if so, where can they reach you to connect and learn more from what you're up to these days? Yeah, samnelsoncontent.com. All my stuff's on there. Easy. And uh, if you're an SDR leader, sdrleader.com, uh, you should check that out. Uh, last question. I want to leave with this, which should be an open poll, and I've never done this before, but I think it'd be fun to see if people will actually do it. If you're listening to this episode, we just got to the end. Let's do a would you rather, right? Would you rather, right? And so comment. Or, you know, wherever you're going to be tuning in on this, it'll be posted in shared places. But would you rather, would you rather as an SDR, um, would you be, t you know, if you have a, if you're an SDR getting taught for the first time, would you rather be taught by a high performer, but a bad teacher or a low performer who's a great teacher? So this is a would you rather. And Sam, you can go first. High performer, bad <laughs> teacher or low performer, great teacher. Well, I did a poll on this, and apparently, I have the I have the minority opinion by a lot. So, this I think is an important truth that most people don't believe. This would fall in this category. I would rather have a high performer who is a bad teacher. If you want to be a high performing SDR, you need to be able to learn from people who are extremely effective, who aren't necessarily going to be able to hold your hand and teach you really well. If you want to be in the top ten percent. That's your only option. You got to be good at learning from effective people and not be reliant on them being good teachers. Okay. Like that's just a skill you've got to learn. Someone who is a low performer and a great teacher, I think is awesome in most contexts in this world. Like if you are in school where you're being taught math, where facts are very clear and someone is very good at explaining that to you, I think that's great. You don't need someone who's necessarily effective if they're a great teacher. When you get into the territory where people are teaching their own opinions, Okay. Someone who is a mediocre performer, but great at teaching the opinions that made the mediocre is not a valuable um, mentor for you. It can be worse than a low performer who's a bad teacher because they might be just very good at explaining things that don't work. And we have to be really careful with that because um, a lot of the people, if you, if, if you define credibility from a sales kind of teacher by how many likes they get on LinkedIn, they're getting likes from primarily people who aren't high performers. Okay. So you need to be very careful not to put too much stock in people who get a lot of likes from, um, from mediocre or low performers or non-sales people. Um, it can steer you in the wrong direction, particularly if they're really good at teaching those things that, that uh, aren't effective. I love it. I'll give you my answer. I'm on the same boat, high performer, bad teacher. Uh, in performance, really? anything, in performance, anything, I want to learn from the best, right? I was a wrestler growing up. I'd rather get my, you know, I'd rather get my ass handed to me from the, the top guy on the mat uh, 
even if he's not teaching me anything, I'm going to learn from his performance, not his teaching, right? That's an example of sports, kind of easy, but same concept, right? In performance, you want to learn from the best. <laughs> I don't care how good you're at teaching. You have to become a good learner, right? You have to learn how to learn from different types of teachers. And I want to learn the best. I don't want to learn some mediocre uh, tactics and tips from someone who's good at teaching me those things. It doesn't really matter. So high performance uh, and anything performance-based is where I'd go as well. But I'd love to hear everyone else's thoughts. Uh, comment wherever you're seeing this. High performer, bad teacher, or low performer, great teacher, and we'll revisit this. Sam, I promise I get you out here on time. Thank you so much for uh, this amazing conversation. And um, looking forward to staying in touch, man. It's great to see you again. Yeah, for sure, Ryan. Uh, Thanks so much. Cheers.